0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast episode of the Business Success and Coffee podcast. Today, I'm joined by somebody I've known for a number of years, and we met quite some time ago on a dark, rainy night, and I've never forgotten that night, Paul, and we've rediscovered each other fairly recently as well, and listeners, I want to give you a little bit of an introduction because... Paul is currently a business advisor but his business history is really really unique and very very particular to what this podcast is about on the two aspects of coffee and of business tips. So out of all the guests that I've had I think you're going to get a real insight into both things and an insight that brings the two of them together. So Paul's Businesses includes a number one TripAdvisor rated cycle cafe, which is uh, Cafe Velo Verde. Is that the right way of pronouncing it? That's right. I'd I'd say
1: Velo. Some people say
0: Velo. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for giving me on that. Uh, And that hit number one on TripAdvisor in Nottinghamshire just 12 weeks from opening and generated a national reputation. Marketing spend was zero and queues to get in the door most weekends. Uh, and he's been on a mission of various things since and is currently uh, now through his position um, with, is it Invest SK or SK Invest?
1: Um, it's Invest SK. It's Invest... basically the economic it's the economic development team of um, South k District Council. Um, we we had the brand of Invest SK. Right, but it's essentially mo- most people would recognize it as the economic development team
0: right. uh, and listeners you know what that basically means is now Paul gets to put all of that experience and expertise in having various businesses and we'll find out more about those businesses shortly into the same role as as I do as as a as a coach and Paul now does it Uh, with a much wider scope of working in a geographical area, helping people with all kinds of support, mentoring, coaching, access to funding, access to support, uh, and so, so much more. And I know today we're going to get an interesting strategy insight around knowing your market and the implementation of that, which I know was a big, big aspect of that. And Paul, you're the first person I've had who has actually had a coffee business.
1: Okay. oh okay That's so that makes you
0: very yeah. unique and and listeners just yeah. before we started this recording you, you you held up your coffee which you can do now because it's it's you know obviously listeners won't be able to see it but anybody watching the snippets oh. might be able to so paul has actually got his coffee there and had done the little squiggle thing in the top as well so we're talking to a uh, a real barista here as well listeners so from a coffee point of view your own roast as well so that's that's important somebody who's actually been there and got their own roast welcome to today's podcast paul well thank you it's good to be here so i've got to ask the 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 first question we're going to talk about coffee okay um what's the coffee that you're drinking and and why you know and tell us a little bit about that backstory.
1: Okay, well, it is actually a slightly long story. It's not a simple quick answer. Okay, my coffee give us of a highlight. Choice, my coffee of choice is a flat white. Okay. So I can, I, I'm confident in my own flat white making abilities. From a barista's point of view, it is one of the hardest drinks to make because it's all about the milk texture and getting it right. So that would be my coffee of choice for myself. Yeah. But you would always make a flat white with whole milk. So I limit myself to maybe uh, one or two per day, yeah, because yeah. obviously if you have four or five flat whites correctly made with whole milk, that's quite a lot of calories in milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that, that would be one i have by choice. So I might, I might have one or two per day. So I happen to have yeah. one now, but then after that, I'd go on to a really good quality filter coffee. Um, you know, yeah. I, I like the cleanness of the filter coffee. Yeah, so yeah. that would be my, my coffee of choice would be a flat white. But only one or two per day, and yeah. then I would be filter coffee.
0: Yeah. So any particular? I mean, I, I mentioned your own roast there. Uh, any mm. particular sort of type of coffee, source of coffee?
1: Um, yeah, but by my preference would be when I had the coffee shop, we actually had a a roast for me by Coffee Central, who are roasters in north, uh, just north of Nottingham. So mm. I I would still, by choice, use those same beans roasted how how I liked them and they're a Brazilian bean from a single oh, okay. a single a single estate in Brazil. But broadly Brazilian and Colombian have a very similar taste profile. Right. So my kind of measure with my coffee shop, I wanted a coffee that the layman might drink and say, that was a really nice cup of coffee, but sure. wouldn't necessarily know why. But the coffee geek would maybe recognise the taste profile as being brazilian or colombian so it's quite smooth maybe hints of chocolate hints of nut in it yeah. not not i've never been massively over the top with oh i've got a bit of mango in there or whatever but yeah you know brazilian uh, brazilian is, is a really good safe bet um for quite a wide appeal yeah, yeah. so by choice i would go with that and for any of your listeners listening at home but may have an espace machine, for ease of use, you really can't go wrong with Lavazza. So Lavazza, oh, okay. which you can get from Sainsbury's supermarkets, etc., yeah. it's a really good quality. It's a very good bean that they use in it. And I serve that to many people that come to my house and they go, oh, it's amazing coffee. It's really nice. So wow. you, you really can't go wrong with, with Lavazza.
0: Yeah. I've actually got some of that in my drawer and yeah. I, I really don't make that much use of it. Uh, so, yeah, that's interesting. So, obviously, we'll talk a little bit about what your role is now and, and how you help people. And I know there's some commonality on focus, etc., between all of, of your businesses. But tell us a little bit uh, about the strategy that you used for the for the cafe, Um and, and how you got that number one TripAdvisor slot in such a short space of time from opening.
1: Yeah, I mean, essentially, I did. I often refer to it slightly tongue in cheek as my midlife crisis business. Mm -hmm. So um, I decided I wanted to get out of the office supplies and office furniture trade, which I'd done for 30 years. So, you know, we had the opportunity with my business partners to sell that business. So I wanted to do something that I was kind of passionate about. So I decided to mix cycling. I'm I'm a regular cyclist with my coffee geekery and i've mm-hmm. gotten more and more into coffee over the previous sort of five or six years so a really simple thing but, but we've touched upon before is if you're doing something yourself provided your own tastes are not really wild if you wanted, if you want it chances are someone else will want it so if i'm going to oversimplify it all i actually did was create the coffee shop that i wanted to go to as a coffee geek and as a cyclist yeah so um, that is minimising it and, it, and it is oversimplifying it. It was obviously way more than that. But it's a lot of little things added up. So it was part about the location, having a really clear target market. Were that target market in the area that had popped up for me to open the coffee shop? So basically, it was a wooden building, literally in a farmyard, in a little village called Screveton, which is yeah. um, just near Bingham. And... Um yeah, so that, that was where we started the business. It hadn't been a, a proper coffee shop before. Um I looked on the app for um called Strava, which some some listeners may well be familiar yeah. with, used by runners and cyclists. And what I looked at is how many people had ridden past the door there was a segment ah, that went through the village so yeah. that gave me an idea on the footfall or, or wheel fall yeah yeah. Will. yeah so um so then I, I could see and it was it was about 2000 people who had ridden the segments past through Scraveton so I figured yeah I, I perceived you know I regularly saw a lot of cyclists in that area so that that would be a great place to to open
0: yeah and what a great resource that i think most people listening to this wouldn't have even dreamt at looking at a running app or a cycling app as market research which is really what you did wasn't it you're trying to work out what yeah. that yeah, market yeah. was that was going to be
1: cycling yes. right yeah. by your door yeah I and mean, i found the location by cycling in that area and then that that was obviously it gave me something tangible and yeah. then what I did is i looked at something bigger just as a comparison so beaver castle in the area is a bit of a draw for cycling there's a hill whichever way you approach beaver you're going up a hill yeah so cyclists obviously like hills so that is a bit of a destination nottingham riders may ride out to beaver loop yep. round beaver go back to nottingham it's not too far from leicester to do the same lincoln can do the same grantham can do the same so i looked at a similar segment going up to beaver castle And at the time I looked, that was about five and a half thousand people had ridden up that hill. So what I had was maybe 40 percent ish of the of the traffic that Beaver Castle had. Gotcha. So I knew that it was viable. I knew there was enough, roughly, people coming through. Of course, there's more than that. That's just the people that are using that app. app, So there is more than that, obviously. Um, And interestingly, it's a while since I've looked, but certainly just before I sold the the Cafe Velo Verde business, I looked at that point, and the figures were actually more or less equal. I think it was something like 7,500. By the yeah, end of yeah. it, so essentially, yeah. we'd actually risen up to be very, very close to the same amount of traffic that was going to be the castle. So, obviously, what that meant is all not literally all, but the majority of that extra traffic was coming to the coffee shop. Great, yeah, you so, know, so yeah, it's so a good I way of measuring the results
0: of it as well, yeah, yeah.
1: I could validate it as we went through. Yeah. So, we had a really simplistic um, aim. So myself and my wife, Jane, we started that business. Jane's not a cyclist, but passionate baker, you know, yeah. and she's brilliant with people, brilliant with, with customer service. That's her skills. Yeah. So um, between us, it was a very customer-driven business. It was all, as Jane will often say, it was like inviting people into our home. And yeah. a lot of people got a hug when they came in, you know. Um, I yeah. always remember quite early doors, uh, two, two ladies came on a really poor winter's day, absolutely pouring with the rain, really bitter cold, depths of winter, the kind of day you think no one's going to come in. And they stood at the door, literally just dripping. They didn't have waterproofs on. They had, like, fishermen's souwesters on, you know. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. And um, I said, oh, you look like you need a hug. And the lady goes, oh, yes, please. So <laughs> we just stood, stood in the doorway hugging. Yeah. And, and then before she left, oh, do you want a hug before you go? Oh, yes, please. <laughs> and that was very much our culture. It was a very personable... Um, community driven thing people came because i was a cyclist so i knew what they wanted and people would support the cycling community is very strong so they very much supported the business there are a number of inverted commas cycle cafes around the country where a business person has opened it hanging a wall on hanging a bike on the wall doesn't make you a cycle cafe but mine it was it was no to be different we definitely were part of the cycle community
0: yeah but it's it's interesting you say there about the community supporting uh, obviously cyclists etc but you're because you're part of that you know as, as a as a cafe I can't think of any cafe I've ever been into where somebody's asked me if I want to hug. And to be honest, Paul, that mm. would freak me out a little bit because I'm definitely one of those people that has a, a metre yeah, yeah. zone around me. COVID was very good for me. you know, It stopped people coming yes, too yeah. close. <laughs> um, but but you know, it, it's great that there is that feeling. You know, I, When I go to a pub, we went into Derbyshire a few weeks ago and we went into a pub and there were a lot of trade vans outside. And, and Angela, my wife says, oh, I don't think I want to go in here. It looks like there's too many workers in here and when we went in it was just like we'd been going to the pub for decades everybody yeah. talked yeah. to us everybody said hello people came and asked us about our dogs you know it it was that welcoming and i always remember that tv program cheers i used to love cheers yes yeah yeah you, know, you want to and, go and, to a place and, where you feel that everybody knows your name don't you i think that was a strap line of the song wasn't it but yeah. you want to go to a place where you feel you can be a person
1: yeah. And you are well, very special. Very close, very close to what you described there. I had uh, the menu board had um, a little science of blackboard and yeah. it was little. And for the first sort of six or nine months before I started to run out of inspiration, there was yeah. a thought for the day, you know. And one of them was actually from a customer's description. It's the only cafe I go to that's like the one on Friends. Oh, so, yeah, you remember, like, <laughs> Central Park in Friends. It was yeah, that. yeah. And, and, this was a single lady who, tra- who rode on her own. She would feel uncomfortable going into several cafes. Yeah. And going back to the community thing, a target market was really, really precise. So I felt it was a big enough target market. So, for yeah. example, I refused to have high chairs and I refused to have a children's menu. We didn't have them because I didn't really want to encourage that.
0: <laughs> I not encourage yeah. children.
1: So on one level, my target market, maybe arriving on a 10 12 fifteen pound bike but it's yeah. going to sit outside do they want kids running around kicking a ball or knocking it over not really yeah. and yeah. that's my target market and on some level a lot of cycling groups going out on a saturday or sunday morning they're out cycling getting away from the kids and the family yeah so true so
0: i, I, I think for many people though paul that's quite a worry isn't it because when you get that 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 niche or that niche for any American listeners. When you get to that kind of level and you really start narrowing it, your your niche becomes almost a feeling of exclusivity and you're excluding people from it. And quite clearly you are. And that's a worry for a lot of people that I'm going it, to lose customers. It stops people doing it. But it's so important,
1: isn't it, to get that target absolutely right and what you want. As long as your target is a big enough target I think is absolutely right and interestingly a different context I had a very very similar conversation just this last week actually with with someone looking at starting a business and um, because your target market is really really clear um, I was advising another cafe uh, recently a new business that was opening Um, I said to them who's your target market the answer was everybody no yeah. it can't be everybody let's say me and you wanted to get together to have a business meeting we want to sit in a relative quiet in a corner yeah. to talk about business we don't want four screaming kids next to us we yeah. don't necessarily and and so it's a different market yeah. and if i want to take out my aging grandmother for a an afternoon tea or something i don't necessarily want to go to a place that's full of students drinking coffee or drinking tea or hard
0: chairs
1: (laughs) or or hard chairs yeah or hard chairs or or benches you know yeah so so uh, i did take it to an extreme and i always say that it was a very very defined market so the consequence of that is we actually drew our customers from a much much bigger area so i would say that Almost every weekend, somebody would arrive, or a club would arrive. That maybe has ridden anything from thirty to sixty miles to get to us, because they know they're going to the place that is for them. Yeah. So, because it's so precise, your target market, your target market will travel further to get to you. So true. So yeah. So you actually increase your market by being more specialist. Yeah. Yeah. Which is an interesting content
0: yeah yeah uh, and you know understanding your market you know is 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 so 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 important we talk about but actually implementing it is a different thing isn't it you know because having the yeah. the strategy having the the ideas you know i love that and we'll talk about your other midlife crisis in a second by the way i'm not going to let that crash helmet behind you get away from it oh, okay um uh, but what what would you say to those people who have got that market narrowed and then they struggle with the implementation of it. It might be the implementation of that imposter syndrome, it might be other people, it might be as you said sometimes you sit there thinking is anybody ever going to come today? Mm -hmm. Implementation is always difficult isn't it? What would you say
1: to the listeners about that? Okay I'd say by being really really clear and put your mind in and be a customer. Put your mind in the place of a customer. Go and stand on in this context, the other side of the counter, and come and walk in. And what do I see? What do I f- what do I feel when I walk in? Mm. Has it got everything that I need? So, um, going back to that feeling, I used to go to a coffee shop that did a cycle, cyclist special in the winter of five five pounds over time yeah. for a, a bacon roll and a coffee. Yeah. So that owner was quite selective. Actually, whether they did not want cyclists, on the one hand there's a cycle offer, but in the winter, cyclists will arrive wet and muddy with a tray with a very wet bum. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not good with mud guards, they've got mud all up them. And if a coffee shop has, say, dralon or velvet seats or fabric seats, whatever, yeah. you're gonna sit down on them, you get leave a muddy trail, you're gonna leave a trail of mud water over there and i've walked into places in the winter as a cyclist and you get that look as i call it you know they look at you you're not really coming in here dripping of water are you you're not really coming in here and sitting down on my muddy seat so you wanted to feel welcome so we had wooden seats so they could wipe clean The, the seats on a certain table were all covered in coffee sacks so if it get dirty, I'll just replace replace the coffee sacks. So it was very practical for my yeah. customers. So they felt at home when they ride. There's a there's a pump in the corner for them to pump the tires up. Um, cyclists, as as some of the listeners may know, you've got cleats on the bottom of your shoes. <coughs> they often come off. Um, so I've got cleat screws. If anybody lost lost a cleat screw, they're behind yeah. the counter. I've got punchy kits. I've got everything that a cyclist needs. I've got a little row of charging points. So most cyclists will use a cycle computer, maybe a heart rate monitor, in the winter lights that are often USB chargeable. So when the cyclist comes in, they can put those gadgets, those devices on charge. So I'm providing everything that my target customer might want in there. And I'm a great believer also in terms of this strategy and this single-minded um, very single point of, of your customer. Like attracts like. So chances are for me, as a, a you know a, a man of a certain age, a middle-aged man in Lycra, a traditional yeah. middle-aged man in Lycra, many of my friends are equally the same. Yeah. So like attracts like. So when you've got that really targeted approach to your business and to your target client, who do they know? Broadly, we mix with people who are similar to us. So will they start to come and encourage your customers to bring their friends? So with yeah. that with that in mind, I created, we had a large table that seated, depending on how close people sat, 12 to 16 people. And I called it the social table. There's a little sign on it saying social table. So if people are coming in as a group, they can stay in their social group. They've just ridden together for 10 or 12 miles, but sit around one large table not be separated into twos and fours around a cafe. And
0: dragging tables together because they want to be together. I saw somebody doing that in Costa the other day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then equally, let's say you came into that coffee shop on your own. Some people go into a coffee shop to sit on their own just to get some quiet space. Some people want to be quite social. So we would encourage people to go and sit on the social table and then all of a sudden Ah, they start talking to each other. Cool, yeah. So again, having that really defined target market... All of your customers have a lot in common, yeah, because they like the same things. So I would actually also sometimes deliberately, in a strategic way, slow down the the serving queue. So, but making a a cappuccino, a latte, a flat white, it can't be any less than a minute. You know, there's a certain time to grind the beans, pour the shot, steam the milk, create it. It can't be less than a minute. So if you have 15 people arrive and they all had a milky espresso based coffee that's 15 minutes of drinks so often our customers would arrive in a group 8 10 12 20 in a group so when they're standing in the queue they've all arrived together they're all dressed in lycra they've all come on their bikes if if where groups or individuals meet in the queue they've all got something in common so they will sit and talk to each other or stand and talk yeah. to each other. Yeah, yeah. So when you're standing chatting in a queue to people you've got something in common with, the clock isn't actually ticking in the same way as it is that when I've ordered my drink and my food and gone and sat down, that's when the clock really starts ticking. Yeah, because so yeah, that's I when you start getting
0: impatient. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I could artificially slow, to, slow create a larger queue. give me more time to be up to date with the drinks and what that then in turn creates is a real buzz because they're all chatting they're all chatting in the queue and there's a whole banter going on the other thing i did (laughs) that made it really personal was i refused to have table numbers so we asked everybody their name at the counter yeah so there is a fault in that there is a problem with it which is if you get four daves you're going out with a coffee for Dave and <laughs> you've got four Daves. But I figured that the overall benefit far outweighed the wrong day yeah. of getting the wrong drink.
0: I'll share one thing with you, Paul. I, I've got a feeling it's Mike Stokes that did this. Mm-hmm. But he was definitely somebody in, in Lincoln who, when they go, went to a coffee shop, because, you know, you go to most Starbucks, Costas and whatever, they always ask your name now, as, as you said. He would make up a name.
1: yeah, Just for a bit of, yeah, just yeah. For a bit
0: of fun. Yeah, to just get some way to shout a name out. The problem, yeah. is that the 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 flaw in his plan, and listeners, this is uh, it happened so many times apparently. He'd forget what name he'd made up, so oh, somebody'd okay. be walking yes. around with yeah. a coffee or uh, a panini, and they'd be saying, yeah. you know,
1: Farqua, Farqua, yeah, I mean, if Farquhar.
0: And, and he'd be looking, you know, he'd be sat there thinking, "Where's my food?" And somebody'd been walking around shouting a name, and he'd forgot what name he'd given. So uh, very often he said it. By the time his stuff got to him, it was cold because he'd forgotten the name. But, but again, so, this
1: becomes this approach became part of a culture. So what it allowed us to do behind the counter, we got to know the pe- person's name. You know, if yeah. you came in every week and you sit at you at coffee, um, sorry, table number six, table number four, we just know you as that bloke that comes in. You might, yeah. normally re- wears a re- red cycling gear, and we don't know yeah. you any more than that. But if we ask your name, and there was a whole banter around that. So one little story, that, um comes to mind a guy came in called richard yep. he ordered americano or whatever richard So yep yeah, richard goes on there we're going to make the drink we're in the waitress will go out and shout richard about two people on is another richard who's in the same group so oh another richard uh, what name is it oh richard oh i'll oh, put me down as richard s i think his name it might have been yep. smith i don't know but i'm richard s so then literally two people on again another richard i said, <laughs> oh. <laughs> you're richard the third so it just richard became fantastic richard and he the <laughs> was in a, yeah so he was in the group and they all started oh it's richard the third richard and that stuck yeah. so then every time he came in he became richard the third
0: so I mean, the whole I've...
1: community thing comes from that very personal yeah. interaction
0: I mean, you're almost, well, you are, not almost, creating a tribe as well, aren't you? Mm. You know, it's that tribal thing. And you think about it, listeners, about Harley-Davidson. No matter what you think about Harley-Davidson and the people that ride them, you know, what other brand do you know where people tattoo the logo onto themselves? Mm. And we're not talking about, you know, uh, certain undesirables that might do that. You know, I know quite wealthy accounts people who are in their late 40s, early 50s that have had a midlife crisis. And again, we're going to talk about your crash app behind you. They've had a midlife crisis. They've gone and got a Harley and then they've got a tattoo of the logo. Yeah. 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 And and that's the kind, you know, listeners, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, this could never happen to me. Think about the things that you do, the brands that you follow and the reasons why, because it's not about the logo. It's about the culture it's about the tribe. And most importantly, I think you said it's there. How do I feel when I walk in? And yeah. I think you and I had this conversation before. You know, I used to own a garden centre and I used to have two amazing ladies rent the cafe off of me. And they were great. They were great cooks, great drink makers and everything else. But they would sit in the conservatory entrance with their arms folded, glaring at people walking by yeah and then they wondered why nobody went in because when you walked in there was this real air of yeah know what have you walked in for or oh at long last a customer whatever it was the feeling when you walked in wasn't a nice feeling yet when you walked through and sat down and you got to know them it was incredible
1: yeah but I mean, that initial feeling find, was the problem yeah what we used to find with with it got abbreviated to CVV because it's quicker. To, yep. to say so our, some, our people sort of say Vilo, people, some people but, say velo some people say velo yeah yeah so cvv became the name but but two things i was just going to say in terms of um the equivalent of a tattoo i designed some cycling shirts which are sold so we sold something yeah. like 240 shirts that our customers bought and these were not cheap ones they're very well made made in, in italy um 49 pound shirts and we sold 240 of them so it was 240 wow. people have spent 50 quid yeah. to be part of the cvv group the gang you know yeah. and yeah. you go out on your bike when the coffee shop's closed and you see them coming towards you because i want to be in that group you know and yeah. the name is on there they they want to be proud that they're part of that club you know there was a, a group that went to um Majorca on holiday and they, they came in have you got six shirts because they were all <laughs> going to wear our shirts going to course- Mallorca.
0: And they take photos and they share them on yep. social media with their friends yep. and their family. Yeah. Yep. Amazing.
1: And then the like attracts like, what's this Cafe Velo Verde? Oh, I need to go. And this become Correct. this is how we got yeah. there. We've why don't
0: we meet there? there? Why don't we why don't yeah. we meet no, it's up meeting
1: yeah. place? The yeah. other thing we was really big on Instagram and we need to talk about the, the trip advisor element of it. But there was a number of things we did consciously and trained the staff consciously to look for certain things so when somebody comes in through the door what yeah. are they looking at so we consciously conscious look if they come in and start looking around it's clearly maybe their first time they've been they don't know where anything is if you yeah. go into a cafe or a restaurant or a pub for the first time where's the ordering point where's the toilet you're just looking yeah. around until you're lost so we would consciously look for those people then go straight up to them and introduce ourselves, guide them where everything everything was. How did you find us? Okay, so we were in a little remote village, relatively remote village, quite rural. So how did they know about us? How did they find us? Mm -hmm. Oh, such and such told me, or I saw you on, I I looked up on TripAdvisor or Google found you. So then you know they found you from the Google review or TripAdvisor review. So you know that we're looking at reviews. So then they come, they have their their food, they have the coffee, they have the cake or whatever. You make sure you catch them, just make sure everything is okay, but wish them well on the way. Hope you'll come again. You know that they found you from a review. So you're not demanding that they do, but don't forget to tell your friends, put something on TripAdvisor if that's where you saw it. So then all of a sudden, that interaction that's customer service and community and getting to know your customers, you know how they found you got in a conversation. Yeah. Um, myself uh, and my sorry, wife, James. I, I'm, just,
0: I'm just going to stop you there, Paul, because I think, yeah. listeners, there's something very, very important that Paul's just said there, so I'm sorry to interrupt you because I think yeah. this is this is really, really important. Very often when we give people a good experience, we assume that they'll go out and tell everybody else about it. That doesn't happen. It does on occasion. You've
1: got to plant the seed.
0: Yeah, you've got to plant the seeds, you've got to ask them to leave your review, you got to tell them, you know, and we don't want to force it upon them, you know, oh, fill out this before you leave. But you know, very often when I'm leaving a trip advisor review, if I see the logo in the door, you know, I'll do it before I even leave the place. But mm. yeah, I'm, I'm the exception. Most people, Liskers, if you want people to leave a review, you, you've got to do what Paul's just said there, you've got to give them a great experience. But then just because you've done that, that is not enough. Plant the seed of tell your friends, leave a review, spread the word, make make them feel comfortable in doing that. I think that's really important. Sorry to interrupt you there, but I think we, okay. so many businesses forget the
1: importance of doing that because they just assume
0: good service implies that
1: and it doesn't. I think one of the biggest things we did that was quite unique as well is as many reasons as we could, a clear strategy to get into that communication is customer service and it's a genuine interest in the people when you get into that conversation you're talking to them so we would regularly go and just if we if we're if we had space um in our day you know from russia's gone we'd go yeah. and just sit down at tables go and sit yeah. with people oh hey, where have you come from how are you doing so we're getting that dialogue and there's a couple of small little phrases oh, have you enjoyed everything yeah great okay don't forget tell your friends we're on yeah. trip advice you know just saying yeah, and you yeah. do, it's just a jokey conversation and it, yeah it's as much as that is all that's needed. do yeah. leave us a review on TripAdvisor. Just saying, but that,
0: that'll yeah. do it. Uh, I'll just share, share, share two very quick examples as well. Of what Paul's saying, listeners, if if that's all right. And yeah, you know, we went to Canada for the very first time uh, many many years ago, and we didn't know where to go. And like you say, we walked into this first cafe what first evening, didn't know what to do, where to go, and this waitress came over to us explained everything just as you say in there welcome and over there's this bathrooms are there if you need them she gave us a little bit of an insight into the town as well which was Banff Uh, and she asked us you know what what are you doing tomorrow and we said oh we're we're joining ski school it's the first time we've ever done it oh whereabouts are you going oh we're going up to Lake Louise great the next evening, because we felt welcome, because we felt comfortable that now we knew how to behave in this place, we went back the following night. That following night, she wasn't our waitress. But as she walked by the table, she stopped and she says, how was your ski school at Lake Louise today? Right. Yeah. And, and this was a big, big sort of uh, franchise type place. And she'd taken the time to listen to what we said, not just heard it, she'd listened to it, she remembered it, and she spotted us. I don't know how memorable we were, but I can't imagine us being that memorable amongst all the hundreds. But that was so special. And we went back to Canada 15 years uh, on the trot almost, and every time we would visit that place, even when she'd left, because the culture, like you said there, Paul, Mm -hmm. the way you trained your staff was really important because the staff are your advocates, of that culture uh, as well, and that made such a difference. And you I've been in complete opposite yeah. examples of that, and we've never gone back again. So really important. So I've got to ask. I've got to, I'm going to stop the conversation here just for a minute okay. because yeah. listeners, when Paul and I first spoke and we saw each other after such a length of time, uh, I saw a crash hat, uh, a motorcycle crash hat on the a crash helmet uh, behind him, and I had to ask the question because my passion is uh, motorbikes and. Yeah, you know, I I know from that conversation obviously your passion for racing uh, but tell us a little bit about what you race I'm not going to sort of share this myself I want you to share the story Paul of, of what you race but just give us a little bit of how you've come back to it as well because there's more than one element to a midlife crisis
1: isn't there <laughs> yeah we're all entitled to several I think I might be number <laughs> yes. eight but yeah but no I've I've, I've pretty much raced Lambrettas uh, on and off my my whole life. So from being 17, I've had a Lambretta. I originally got into it through the mod scene, but I I got bored of that quite quickly. And it just became about making them go faster. Um, I like the engineering in in them, uh, making them go faster. My dad was an engineer. Started in get involved in racing, um, retired from racing. I kind of developed a fear of crashing. I was much better at racing go-karts, racing four wheels than I was on two wheels. Had a few years away from it, then went back to it. And um, so now I actually... I, I, I wouldn't like to say I'm retired, retired, but I'm almost retired, but I write for <laughs> Scootering scootering Magazine and do some photography. So being um, a, a racer, I know all the racers, so within yeah. the paddock I can go and talk to everybody. Um, But this year I I did a test. I've not actually raced for six years and I I sort of had a rush of blood to the head and and there's an endurance series, a British endurance service, which which is six or eight hour races. And my old race scooter, um, I actually sold a race scooter um, 18 years ago and bought it back in the same condition as it was. So it's quite unique. So but it's not a current spec; it's very outdated. But it's too—it's too complete. It is quite unique in its world. Yeah. But I could—I could practice it in the endurance series practice, and yeah. I thought, "Oh, I'll go and do that." So, so yes, yeah, so I made a kind of return to the track, and and I did okay. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And the long and short of that is, I'm now actually competing next year in the endurance <laughs> series. So, so, so t- the test like... was passed then. <laughs> Yeah, it's a test first pass I mean like the third the third episode of, of actually yeah. racing. but yeah. um but no, I mean the whole attraction of scooters they really shouldn't be raced you know I yeah. often joke they were the only small wheels yeah small wheels only respectable transport for a nun in the 60s <laughs> and and you know they Ooh. were designed they had maybe 8 to 10 horsepower they they went you went to the shops on them you know yeah. um, you got leg seals to protect you from the weather and and uh, they would rev to five and a half thousand revs and these yeah. race bikes could be 10 12 thousand revs depending on what yeah. they are and anything up to 40 horsepower yeah. so a massive increase in power um that the my last full spec race bike that i sold a, a, a few years ago um we did a test and standing start from a 208 cc lambretta in 260 meters was 86 miles an hour terminal speed so wow. they're, they're quite quick they're yeah, quite yeah. quick yeah, My, yeah that, the team that had that me hanging on no the team that i'm allied to you know our, our fast bikers we call it um was was clocked 118 miles an hour on the straight at snetterton yeah. um which compared to motorbikes you know it, it's a bit slower on the straight but if any listeners know mallory park um it's got a hairpin and a bus stop chicane yeah. a scooter Will be way quicker than almost any motorcycle through that section of the track. Yeah, so I, I, I've hate, gone I
0: hated that chicane,
1: I really did. Yeah, <laughs> the scooter is really nimble through there though. Yeah. And I, I've gone testing on a Wednesday afternoon, we, we would go there and, and and do testing on a Wednesday with motorbikes. And it was amazing. I was got a guy in a, <clears throat> a Yamaha R6, a modern 600cc mm-hmm. bike, and yeah, he's faster on the straight for me. But I went back past him, out braked him into the <laughs> oh. hairpin. I, bet I broke he his heart. And, <laughs> no. yeah, and every time he got to the straight, he passed me. This went on for four or five laps. And the last one, he just cut me really, really close, like literally six inches away from me, which was a bit unnecessary. But obviously, it was, it was getting a little hacked off by then. Yeah, that this, yeah. this fellow on this Lambretta kept passing him into well,
0: into the I, I think i mentioned this last time we spoke um and and listeners you know this is probably not making much sense to some of you but google lambrettas and, and google this next person so uh, i remember doing a track day and it was a ron haslam race school and we were on yeah. the, the the 600 yeah. hornets because i love the hornet rather than the cbr 600 and uh, i thought i was going flat out and this young lad and he was young because he was tiny on this one two five came up the inside of me and cut up the inside of me at such a speed and went up the inside. And of course that was Leon Haslam who went on to much bigger things later. But yeah, on a one two five and now I
1: was on this six hundred. But so But Leon Haslam started on a scooter. Yeah. His first track experience was a scooter, and then he went on to motorbikes.
0: So I'm going to ask a question, because there was a reason yeah. I didn't introduce what it was that you ride, and you know it's like the difference between coach and mentor. You know, different people interpret different things, and I was very careful not to refer to something as a scooter, because I thought I might get it wrong. I was also very conscious not to say moped, because that might not be right. No. What's, the, what's the difference between a moped? For the listeners listening, they're probably going, what's the difference between a scooter and a moped? What,
1: what is the difference, Paul? Tell us. The, def- the definition of a scooter, of a, yep. from a racing point of view, the definition of it is it's it's predominantly a single engine unit sitting at the back that is, has got an enclosed chain. There is a chain internal, but yep. the key thing is to step through. So there isn't a motor, there isn't a, a um, fuel tank in the centre like a motorbike would be. Yep. So you're sitting on a seat and you can move your legs in front of you op- openly. Yep. to get on and off it that's the technical definition of a scooter a moped the two it's actually a lot of people don't realize this but it's, it's an abbreviation of motor as in mo yeah. for the motor and ped as in pedals so a true moped originally was a, had a motor but was assisted or driven by some pedals as yeah. well yeah
0: so that's where it's got so, confusing because i know people yeah. who have
1: bought mopeds and really what they've bought yeah. is a scooter then isn't it yeah, so a lot of people call them mopeds because they were small cc. Scooters, yeah. modern automatic scooters, became popular as small 50 cc scooters. So yeah. I think that moped just is a is a catch all. Some people would call it a moped.
0: Correct. Yeah. I would
1: say, no, no, no. A scooter is very different to a moped. Yeah. You gotcha. know, in the same way, you know, you've know, you got Hoover and Vacuum. You know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. different. Yeah. You know? Jacuzzi um,
0: and hot tub, as I used to find yeah, it years yeah. and years ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, Obviously, let's just touch on what you're doing now. And I'm conscious, you know, um, of time. Just give us a little bit of the scope of the role that you have now uh, and how you help businesses. Because, you know, somebody listening to this might be in your uh, South Castevan area. Um, And then we'll talk about how people can reach out to you. And I'll ask the final question
1: yeah so um so yeah so I'm business officer for South Castevian District Council so I'm part of the economic development team um, and essentially my role is to interact with businesses so the thinking is that because I understand business I've had five startup businesses over thirty years you know three in office supplies yeah. and office furniture the a coffee shop a sideline business relating to scooters so a quite a wide experience I've got a real practical thing so if a business person, typically goes to a local authority there is um an arguably common common situation where does the person in a local authority actually understand business You yeah. know, and, and one of the crucial things has happened several times business many business people many entrepreneurs a really basic thing their house is at risk with the business yeah. it's secured against the business against borrowings it's a different kind of pressure to work in PAYE. And I understand that because I've been in that position 25 years and have a, a wide experience. So where I'm able to assist is from a practical experience helping people. I'm not a formal business advisor with a qualification, but I've got an absolutely practical experience having been there and built a number of successful yeah. businesses. That's so
0: much more important than a certification or a qualification. Absolutely. Totally, they're they're totally. important, but
1: Practical experience yeah. is is more more important in my view. Definitely. Totally. So in some instances, I can help businesses in a quite a drastic way with something that me or you might feel yeah. relatively easy. It's almost common sense to us, but yeah. it's not to everybody else. So in a practical way, it, it, even down to advising what they might need to say in a negotiation, selling their stuff or buying yeah. their stuff, I've got all of those that experience, so we can issue um, give people practical help. But I can also signpost. So I know you, you do some work with the Lincoln University on, on business yeah. planning, etc. So if your business is in South Kest even I can help that. I know you're doing that with the productivity hubs. I'm able to signpost on some levels to that. Yeah. And I do a lot of work where I'm bringing businesses together that are in the district that may not know each other, but can work together and can help each other. So yeah. it's quite a wide role Um, um, I very much get the the positive thing of being able to work with um, um, some amazing businesses that I can find across the district. And the more I can do to help them in the current climate, we all know in COVID, a lot of businesses receive grants uh, and the government were giving away some free money with everything that's happened over the last few weeks. We now know we can't afford to borrow money to to hope that we're going to grow with it. But the diff- important difference for me, there's a heck of a lot I can do to support businesses based upon my experience. And and at the end of it, I love what to do and I'm very enthusiastic. Um, and yeah. um, You can help businesses a lot with that without giving them a grant, but yeah. giving them tools that they can use for years. Yeah. So.
0: If people want to find out more about you as a, as a person and obviously the background uh, and also, you know, if anybody listening to this is in South Casteven as well, and he's looking for business support and business help, where's the best place for people to connect
1: to you, Paul? Um, easiest way is they'll find me on LinkedIn. Um, yep. I'm sure I'm not the only Paul Green on LinkedIn, but if, yep. you, if you search um, Paul Green and Invest SK on LinkedIn, you'll find yep. me. Um, so, so yeah, you'll find me easily. about it. that's the easiest way to get in touch with me. If you're in South East Even with any business, just reach out. I'm happy, more than happy, to talk to any business that's within South East Even about whatever might be an issue for you. Any way we can help, or anybody right. looking to move into the area, always yeah, happy yeah. to talk to those too. Yeah,
0: yeah. And if anybody's got an interest in labrettas, scooters, um, yeah. yeah, anything like that, but yeah, but yeah, you know, I know um, you'll um, find a
1: great, great connection in Paul. And I'm always really, really happy to talk to talk, business and talk yeah. coffee, which yeah. well, it has been a pleasure to, to yeah, bring yeah. you here today, Simon.
0: Well, look, you know, I've, I've not gone through, pulling and asked the usual specific questions because I think you've given us so much that's been significant for you. You've given us so much of the difference it's made to you. And I think you've shared so many tips with us today as well. So I'm just going to ask the, the final question. If you were going to have your next cup of coffee, your next flat white, Okay, but only one of those two or three a day. If you're going to have your next flat Y in a dream location, where would that dream location be? And who would you really, really want to have a conversation with whilst you're drinking that coffee? If you could pick any person alive or dead, who would you want to be having that coffee with? Where you could perhaps ask those questions you have always wanted to ask. So
1: dream location and who? Location is really easy. Um, it would be the top of Bravant Mountain in Chamonix. There's there's a cafe restaurant okay. that's got glass walls sitting, looking out over the mountains. Stunning location. I think it's 2,200 metres. Yeah. one of my favourite places to sit. be amazing. And probably it would be Ayrton Centre, I would think. Oh, um, I choose the dead category, but it would be yeah. Ayrton Centre. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and so I've got to ask the question now what, what one question would
1: you want to ask him? How on earth did he manage to crash and kill himself? It's such, It's such. Nobody really knows why. I'd oh, love to know what great happened. Great question. Yeah. Happened in, that, in that five seconds before, how did it happen? He was just a superb driver. Yeah. Every logic thinks almost whatever is thrown at him, he should be able to control. Yeah. He had the, the most natural control. Um, yeah, amazing. How did he manage to be in that position? When yeah. he hit that wall and it ended his life. How did yeah. how did that four or five seconds beforehand actually pan out?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I love that question. Mm. Great. Well, look, Paul, you've been an absolute star. You've given us such an insight into so many different things. You know, listeners, I'm sure you've taken a huge amount of value away from this. So many notes to make. Uh, and, you know, if you have listening to this, listen to it again, because trust me, this is probably going to take about three or four listens just to get every one of the the tips and the strategies that paul shared you know uh, out of this podcast episode and thank you very much for being a guest it's been an absolute pleasure no problem thank you and listeners i'm sure you'll probably agree there's a version two of this that needs to come at some point in the future so watch out for that space i'm sure there's more we can talk about that the most important thing now is do something with what paul has said and i think you know if you if you think about it from two ways, if you've got a business, how do your customers feel when they interact with your business? What how do they feel when they walk in through that door? Yeah, you know, and how specific and how known of you know within your market are you? You know, Paul shared so much about that. You know, really, really focusing on that one that one market and that one strategy. So, what can you do with that? Do something with it. Let us know. Leave us a review. I always ask people to leave a review, Paul C. Practice what you preach. Leave us a review and tell us what you thought of this podcast episode and the difference it's made to you and your business or your life. Perhaps it's got you to think about ticking up Lambretta scooter racing yourself. So uh, who knows what difference this will make to you, but let us know what difference it's made. And as always, I will see you on the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like any help and support with your business, do get in touch with Simon. And to discover what your business needs you to fix next, visit www.sterlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com. Please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And Simon would love you to rate and review the show too. Thank you.